Welcome to the SBI Podcast, offering CEOs, sales and marketing leaders ideas to make the number. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Alexander, CEO of Sales Benchmark Index. Welcome to the SBI Podcast. Joining me today is Dave Renison. And Dave became the Executive Vice President and General Manager of the cloud business at Genesis, who is the leader in Context Center Solutions, after selling his company, Angel, in 2013. From 2009 to 13, he was the President of Angel, and prior to that, he was the Vice President of Sales. And the reason why I wanted Dave to join us, or one of the many reasons, I should say, is that he's a rare functional leader, in this case, a sales leader, who has made it into general management and is now a president, CEO, executive. And there's less than 5% of the sales leaders in the world that reach that goal or accomplish that task. So um, he's going to share with us a little bit about how he did that. A fun fact about Dave is that he holds nine patents. So you are the only sales-driven CEO I've ever met in my life that actually holds nine patents. And if I'm understanding your profile correctly, you actually spent a stint in engineering. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So you are like a two-headed monster. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Well, welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So today we're going to talk about how to scale a SaaS company. I think our listeners know what that acronym SAAS means, but for those of you that don't, software as a service. And Dave did that extremely well. Um, So Dave, I'm going to jump into some questions regarding this topic. Um, So first off, one of the ways that you scaled Angel was you grew average deal size from $10,000 per deal to $80,000 per deal in one year. So an 8x improvement in deal size. So how the heck did you do that? Yeah, well, to to be fair, that actually took us about three years. Oh, okay. uh, And on on that movement, and and it's funny because I think for a lot of the sales leaders out here listening on this call, um, you know, that sounds very, very daunting to to make that type of a movement, especially when you're dealing with hundreds of transactions. Um, But I, and I think the sales leader needs to recognize that they can't do it all on their own. That first movement from 10 to 20 or 25, we did on the basis of pure sales management, athleticism, working on sales process, uh, picking the right deals, focusing uh, our team, allowing our inside sales team, which is mostly done through an inside sales methodology, but allowing them to physically go and get on site with customers. But the, the second wave of that occurred by a lot of work that we did on the product. Um, our, our, in, in the SaaS world, you have two primary problems to solve to take off the table. One of them is uptime, and the other one is security. Everybody believes that they can do uptime better than you if they're an enterprise company, and you need to prove with both your SLAs and lead with your chin on with a strong SLA and then be able to back that up. And the second one is you need a strong security program. So we put these two things in place, and it took a while to do that, uh, and, and, and that helped us be able to go toe-to-toe with chief information security officers and CIOs and allow us to have good business conversations with the user buyers and not have those two issues on the table. Mm-hmm. And so you think about that's really technical work that we had to do. 
And we actually learned this from some of our groundbreaking customers. Uh, in fact, one of the biggest first six-figure deals we did, I signed up to be PCI compliant um, and had to be a, a, a band leader to get people on board with this program and sell internally to get that program uh, initiated. Luckily, I had a friend who was a CISO at Pepsi, and he walked me through how to go get, get my organization on board to get that done. Hmm. But when, by the time we were done with that, we were one of the only SaaS players in our space um, that could claim that we were level one PCI compliant. It became kind of a selling tool. Yeah, the you raise a really good point. Yeah. Which yeah, is, so. you raise a good point, which is um, SaaS especially, but not just in SaaS, growing a company through sales effectiveness requires coordination across multiple departments. So in this particular case, it sounds like, you know, you guys had a goal to grow the average deal size, and then you worked backwards from that goal and said, what's standing in the way of accomplishing that? And you uncovered that, you know, you probably had to sell to a different type of customer. So Pepsi would be an enterprise customer instead of an SMB customer. And the requirements from a product perspective to have a compelling offer there were very different. And then you work with the product team to overcome those hurdles which then allowed the sales force to be more effective. Did I summarize that correctly? You, you really did. And, and I think that your idea of getting all of these departments working in harmony, um, you know, I, we were never successful um, in any given quarter if we didn't have everyone working on that new orders and new revenue goal. So sales, marketing, product, and offer management, operations, engineering, and even finance have to all be working together to scale up a business like that. <laughs> So everybody understands the importance of what I'd call strategic alignment across those departments that you just outlined. But when they try to do it, it becomes really difficult because there's, you know, different agendas, you know, different metrics, um, just, to, you know, different areas of focus. So how did you get everybody on the same page? Yeah, some of it's going to sound so trivial, but it, one of the first exercises we did as a management team is we talked about what we all personally wanted to get out of the company. And we had an offsite where the, the senior leaders got together and we, we actually put our IPO plans on hold because it had become a distraction and a bunch of discussions, you know, that would happen about, is this ever going to happen? And we said, why don't we just try to build a great company? And once we got around the fact of doing that, uh, we, we were able to create a vision for creating a place where people wanted to work with us to solve their automation problems in the contact center space. And then it, it became an optimization problem about people not thinking about the short term, but thinking about how do I create long-term sustainable value for our customers and make great customer experiences for our customers' customers. And we, we set out a vision and a mission, and then we communicated that vision and mission every single quarter in all hands meetings and in every one of our metrics and strategic meetings that we held monthly. And we kept people moving towards those objectives. And the strategic plan and the tactics that fell out of that were fully aligned because everybody was on board with where we were taking the company. And that alignment, was it just with the executive leadership team or did it cascade all the way down to that, you know, front level employee? So I, I, I formed two different leadership groups. My, my, my most senior leaders, there, there were about six of them, um, and it, it, it changed as the company grew. I had eight at one point and four, uh, another point and six in the middle. So that kind of inner core of top senior leaders um, that group was responsible for driving the strategy, and they were the ones that did most of the hard, heavy lifting in terms of the, the thinking and the planning and the committing of their organizations. I also created a senior leadership team uh, that, uh, that I called the extended leadership team, which included anybody who managed anybody. Mm -hmm. So if you, if you led other individuals in your daily job, um, then you were invited to this group. 
That group was the group that sat in on the metrics meeting where we looked at every single core metric in the business together on a monthly basis. And that group also is the group that would be involved if we did uh, any type of big formal update on roadmaps uh, or big customer wins or and big customer losses so that we were able to learn together as a team. Interesting. Okay, we're going to take a break here to make you aware of something I think you get some value out of. Each day, you receive hundreds of emails, tons of text messages, countless telephone calls, and sit in too many meetings. How do you find ideas to make the number with all this noise? The SBI blog filters all this nonsense for you and presents only first-rate ideas to make the number. Simplify your life. Subscribe to one blog and read the best content. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody. So we're here with Dave Renison, and we're talking about how to scale a SaaS company from the president's office. One of the things also, Dave, that I've gained an appreciation for your outstanding performance is that you made a move from the SMB space, the small to medium enterprise business segment, to the enterprise segment. And many SaaS companies want to do that, but they're unable to do that. How big of a leap was that? What, what kinds of roadblocks did you run into? And what advice would you give other SaaS company leaders who are trying to do the same thing? So I, I think the first thing you need to assess is why people are buying your product in the current space and what you think the difference in those needs will be in the, in the market that you're going to attack. There are going to be different set of competitors there. We were fortunate that there were some fairly staid on-premise competitors. So just being in the cloud allowed us a uniqueness to cascade across multiple lines of business and being able to go into large departmental wins at large organizations. Um, so that, that helped us that there was such a level of conservatism in the industry that we were in. The second thing uh, was our brand. We, we, we had a, a brand that was a dot-com brand that was a decade old. And as, as strange as it may sound to those who are not you know, highly thoughtful in the, in the pure marketing deliver, uh, delivery uh, mechanisms, but we, we, we dropped the dot-com. We formed a strong angel brand, even just changing the colors and the, the shape of the letters that represented our brand, renovating our website, changing what the, the language that we were using to talk about customer experience uh, and, and delivering ROI and automation, those conversations took us up market collectively. And so I know it's, it's, it's kind of amazing to say that, yeah, changing the color can make a difference. It yeah, that's easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Lots, of, lots of components had to change. Yeah, let, let's talk about marketing in general there because that obviously there's a lot of work to be done from a branding just overall marketing strategy to make that happen. So SaaS companies that start out in the SMB space, you know, rely on inbound activity quite a bit. And through SEO, SEM, content marketing, et cetera, you know, they attract a certain type of customer and then they convert, you know, through the lead management, sales management, sales opportunity process. When you want to go to enterprise, especially if you're selling to senior executives, you usually have to involve outbound. You have to be selective in who you're going after. You have to proactively target a Pepsi, as an example. You know, and very often those senior executives aren't, you know, randomly searching in Google and stumbling into your site and engaging in some linear process that you designed for a more simple transaction. You mentioned that uh, on your profile that 90% of your business came from marketing 
generated opportunities, which is a staggering number. So tell us more about your marketing strategy. So, and maybe again, it has to do a little do with the space that we're in, but we did find that enterprises would respond to our, our, our blast emails for webinars. Hmm. Uh, we put a, a very strong process in place doing drip marketing using Marketo. Uh, and so we had a, a, a marketing mix of, of strong search engine optimization work that we were doing. In fact, we were ranked in the top five for more than 30 keywords, which is pretty remarkable for a, a $30 million revenue firm yeah. uh, at the time of our acquisition. We, uh, we did a lot of, of search engine marketing where we, we purchased the right keywords uh, you know, from Google and Bing. And we did a large number of webinar and, and broadcast emails about these webinars and the white papers that were coming out of them and the different work that was being done. And, and then we did attend some, some industry trade shows and collect some amount of contacts and business cards there, ones that were important to us, like, like Dreamforce and Speech Tech, which were in our space. Um, and we, and, we, and we, we, were, we massaged this marketing mix. But uh, every day, uh, you know, you would be amazed at both the quantity and the quality of the leads and the people that reached out that were having problems with their contact center, with their IVR. And we built a very solution-oriented, consultative sales process that looked for the pain, and it typically was speed, flexibility, uh, visibility into metrics, and we we leveraged all of that uh, um, strategic selling capability in an inside sales process uh, to find problems that we could solve with our product. Hmm. So that's encouraging to hear, because a lot of the SaaS companies that we're working with right now, they're trying to move up market to the enterprise space. And the working hypothesis is that They've got to shift from inbound only to inbound and outbound. And outbound is described as, you know, building a list of target clients you want to sell to, building a list of the names and the job roles with contact information of the people inside of those clients you want to sell to, and then proactively going after them with email and social and the telephone, et cetera, instead of just deploying inbound activities and waiting for them to come to you. Um moving to that outbound process is expensive and it's difficult. So if you can pull it off, if you can go from SMB to enterprise without having to do it, that's an advantage. And what you just shared with us is that that actually worked for you. Is that correct? It did. And again, there, there are, we did complement that work with, with some pretty aggressive moves. You would not recognize some of our sales reps as inside sales reps by the time uh, they'd been with the company for five or six years. I'd put these guys toe-to-toe against any of your best enterprise sales guys. But there is a, uh, a relationship-oriented uh, selling, I think, that I see in the enterprise software space that is still far different from the transactional problem-solving selling that's needed to, to get somebody to move off of their on-prem solution to the cloud, which is even still where the vast majority of our cloud wins come from. Mm-hmm. And you, you need that aggressive problem-solving mindset where – um, you know, for the challenger profile, but where they're, they're pushing that person to solve their problem using our solution. Hmm. Um, it, I'd probably be remiss if I didn't also mention the work we did on the product. Um, the product and offer were at the center of the transition. I mentioned the security and uptime work that we did, but one of the other things we did was we differentiated our offer using analytics. We were very fortunate to have had MicroStrategy as a, as a kind of a funder and parent company during the formation stage of our business. And we took MicroStrategy's complete BI platform uh, in the cloud and inserted it into the, into the Angel engine. And that allowed us to create 
a very powerful set of enterprise metrics that were drillable and really transformed how we were selling because we didn't just sell then on move quickly, move it to the cloud, it'll be easier. It was it will now be better because you've got an enterprise grade BI package purposefully built to solve the problems of understanding how to improve the user experience and automation. And and, and that that just raised the game of our sales team and gave us a better product. Mm-hmm. That helped enormously. Yeah. Okay, we're going to pause here for a moment to make our audience aware of a new program. Are you tired of the superficial approach to sales and marketing best practices served up on the internet by self-proclaimed gurus with glib answers to your problems? If so, subscribe to the SBI Magazine. It's about time that you have a credible publication to turn to that delivers strong, compelling stories and insightful analysis. Go to salesbenchmarkindex.com and subscribe to the SBI Magazine. We're now going to dive back into our conversation. So we're talking about, from the CEO's perspective, how to scale a SaaS company, um, how to go from a small market segment to the enterprise market segment, um, how to modify the product to make sure that it's um, you know, differentiated in this new market that you're entering, how that translates to larger deal sizes, the role that marketing plays, and making that happen, um, all great pieces of advice for us. Um, the, the other thing that I wanted to mention to you, which was about customer success and your retention rates year over year. So tell me a little bit about that. It, that seems like you pioneered some work there. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's kind of embarrassing to say that we continued to hire salespeople before we hired the number of account managers that we eventually would need to get to our level of, of success. So we did do pioneering work, but we did it because we, we, we started out really behind the eight ball. Um, the first couple of customer success managers I hired, uh, we called them account managers, uh, which was harking back to the days of telco when I started my career. And I began to realize that we just needed people to care for our clients. Um, I, I now have a perspective, you know, five or six years after operating a SaaS business that that the S in software as a service for service um, may be the most important one, um, at least on equal equal with the with the software itself. So if, if I'm a product zealot, I'm also a service zealot. We found that the number one key to retaining our clients uh, was to proactively uh, listen to them and get out there with them, form quarterly business reviews, sit down with clients and understand how they're using the products. As we brought out new things like the, the business intelligence analytics reporting, show them how to use it. Because many of our clients signed on in the early days without the analytics. Um, but we, we eventually grew our business with them or, or retained them because of the analytics. And as we introduced things like call recording uh, or our contact center offers for our call routing, the, the, the dynamics of the relationship became a cross-sell capability, um, and, and it added another level of fuel for growth. But these customer success managers, um, you know, they became the heart of the business, and, and we're now at a point where we have as many CSMs as we have AEs, because retaining and growing our customer base and keeping those customers in a value position with us um, is as important as anything that we do. Mm. I mean, it makes such great common sense. You work so hard to acquire the customer. You, you should work equally, if not harder, to keep the customer. And the way you do that is you make the customer successful. Sometimes the best ideas are the easiest ones, I guess. Um, yeah, I mean, if your churn is, is over... 
10% on a revenue basis, a CMRR basis, you're, you're struggling uh, in a SaaS business. When we got it down below 10 and we eventually got down near the 5% uh, number, um, everything became a lot easier because we could count on our current customer base to actually have net growth because mm. uh, the, the growing customers would outweigh that small 5% churn rate. And then every new customer is just a layer of addition on top of it. So the growth from the current customers, did that come via price increases? Did that come through additional seats being sold? I mean, where did that come from? No, in fact, we saw a, a slow uh, decrease in our price per minute and price per seat over the course of the three years that I was running uh, Angel as president. Um, and it, that, that, that slight erosion was more due to the size of the deals. We offered volume pricing discounts to our, our larger customers so that someone who had 10,000 minutes a month would pay a different price uh, from someone who had a million minutes a month. Um, and, and we felt that not only was that fair, but it was, it was easy to metric. Um, what, what, what happened was we began to uh, add additional features to the product, like call recording and, and uh, more advanced support packages and some professional services uh, tuning uh, consultants and, uh, and a contact center offer. So it was, a, it was a horizontal expansion of product capabilities where you're selling more to our existing customers and uh, potentially selling more to customers that grew. So a customer that came in with 50,000 minutes, you know, grows over time and is using half a million minutes to the success of their business model. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Tell me a little bit about the investment side. So, in speak in, ter- in percentages, so we don't violate any confidentiality here, and specifically relative percentages. So, if you would break down the big line items on an income statement, obviously you've got R and D, you have sales and marketing expenses. Those are probably the biggest ones in the SaaS business. So, you know, what was the as a percentage of revenue? How did the R and D expense compare to the sales expense and compare to the marketing expense? So, you know, it, it evolved um, as we grew the business, but, you know, just kind of giving you the, the, the run rate of the business when we were uh, exiting to, to Genesis, we were at about 25% sales and marketing and about 15% going into uh, R&D. And, and those numbers, um, you know, arguably could have been, we probably could have put a little more into both of those. But we were trying to run the business on a what I called uh, controllable growth, which is that we didn't burn cash as we grew the company. Mm-hmm. Other people might have the luxury of, of a larger amount of investment. You know, I, I look at, at the likes of, of Salesforce.com investing 50% of their top line back into sales and marketing, and I'm envious of that that they that they're that they're able to uh, put that kind of investment. And we didn't have that type of cash on hand to grow our business. Mm-hmm. And the 25% in sales and marketing, what was the split? Um, probably more 80% towards sales. Okay. Uh, we had a pretty efficient marketing engine, and we, didn't, we got by with a, a very small team of very highly capable marketing individuals that produced our content. Um, I would say even half of that went into programs versus the individuals that were executing yeah. the programs. I had a hunch. That's why I asked the question. I mean, and if you look at the way that you describe the contributions that marketing made to the revenue growth of the company, that team with very little resources, money and people produced some incredible outcomes. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a testament to, to kind of modern digital marketing. Yeah. Um, we, we very tightly managed every program on an ROI basis. We were quick to cut things off that didn't work. Um, our, our leader at the time had a uh, try fast, fail fast mindset, and that meant that he, I gave him a lot of latitude to, to do lots of little things and, and figure out which ones were working and which ones were not. Yep. And, and, and it's, it's amazing. Every once in a while, some, uh, you know, vendor trade show that we'd go to would, would just happen to be a good fit and we'd do well with it. And then we'd do three more trade shows that were a failure. Um, but, but most of the things that we did that were successful were digital marketing oriented, whether they were webinars or uh, additional uh, ad channels um, and those types of activities. Mm-hmm. We need to take a quick break. So we'll be right back. You need to make your numbers, and you want to hear how others are making theirs. You go online to find out what your peers are doing, but can only find sales consultants selling you. Sound familiar? Then the SBI podcast is for you. Each week, hear directly from a peer how they are making the numbers. Go to iTunes, search for Sales Benchmark Index Podcast, and subscribe today. Let's dive back into the conversation. All right, so we've we've recapped here how to scale a SaaS company through the lens of product modification, marketing, which is moving from market to market effectively, sales, and customer success, which is keeping their customers happy so that they stay with you over time. All the key strategies for scaling your company and ultimately having a successful exit for yourself and your investors. I wanted to shift the remaining time that we have here to a personal conversation with you. I started the show introducing you. And in that introduction, I discussed how you were able to make the move from sales leader to president and make the move from functional management to general management. And just based on your answers, it's obvious to me that you did that well. I mean, most salespeople have a hard time describing product strategy and it was very clear what your product strategy was. So first off, how did you get the opportunity? Because lots of sales leaders want to do that, but they can't get the job. And then once you got the job, how did you learn what you needed to learn? Well, I, 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 don't, I almost feel like sometimes there's some serendipity here and luck plays a hard part of this. <laughs> I, I probably, if I'd started my career in sales, would still be running sales organizations. Hmm. Um, but I had the irony that I spent the first decade of my career in operations, engineering, customer support, and other different types of divisional roles in a, a large, uh, multi-billion dollar company. Those foundational experiences were just extraordinary because I got exposure to so many different departments and it gave me the necessary background to know, you know, what a good operation looks like, what a good engineering team looks like. And even though I never became an expert in any of those, those rotational assignments early in my career made a a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing you, you, you pointed out those patents, you know, I did a master's degree in, in information technology at the midpoint of that first half of my career before I became more of a sales and marketing leader. And um, so the first, you know, the first decade is in that, that, you know, kind of more tactical roles. When I moved into the sales and marketing, I began, I just fell in love with the idea of creating markets, building products, selling, selling products. So I, I think the unfortunate answer is I was sort of more of an accidental sales leader, if anything else, <laughs> and in the right place at the right time with the right skills when um, the, the board at, at, at Angel decided it was time to put a different person in charge of the company. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I hate to, to say it, but it's a little bit of uh, preparation meets, meets opportunity. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, you know the old saying, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. <laughs> and uh, I think I characterize that in this way. <laughs> well, you, I think you characterize both, but you get you put yourself in a position to get lucky, right? That's the key. So, for the sales leaders that are listening to this, which is a big percentage of our listeners, you know, I think what you should take away from this is if you're just running around tactically trying to hit this month, this quarter, this year, you're going to be a sales leader the rest of your life. If you can work backwards from you know the needs of the market, the needs of the buyers. And think about, you know, is your product differentiated? Does it solve problems for customers that are critical to them that they're willing to pay to solve? You know, if you can think about what marketing does to drive demand, you know, both get those that are actively seeking solutions, you know, into your pipeline and also stimulate latent demand to grow the pipeline. You know, and then think about sales, you know, so how do you convert all that with most sales leaders know how to do that pretty well. And that's more of an execution improvement opportunity. And then let's not forget about customer success, which is making sure that what you sold the customers is actually real. The value proposition got realized, and those customers stay with you for a long time and ultimately support that 15% R&D investment because as the new products come out, you now have an install base to sell them to. So that would be my advice uh, to the sales leaders. Um, Dave, how about you? What, what advice would you give to a sales leader who wants to be a president of a SaaS company? You know, that, your advice is just absolutely spot on. I, I would add to that, um, you know, if, when I think back over my time as the sales leader at Angel, um, I was constantly helping other departments. And, and part of it was survival, uh, but I worked to explain why we needed to move to a higher level of security standards. I brought in you know, colleagues and peers of mine from other businesses to help them get that work done. I helped them generate the business case to get the additional funding to get that done. Mm. Um, I was constantly bringing feedback in on the process of sales and, and kind of why we needed certain things in the demos or why we need certain things in the product. So I, I partnered up with the product team. Um, and then I took on some of responsibilities that weren't necessarily natural responsibilities. Um, the partnerships organization very often sits with, with, with marketing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I took that on under the sales uh, leadership role to help drive that. I collaborated to build the changes that we needed in the PowerPoints and the demo scripts. And I invited others into our world, um, kind of deputizing everyone from operations and engineering to becoming extra sales engineers because we relied on resources. And many of our product people, you know, and, and operations people even, uh, I remember our director of operations, I, I called on him as one of our top technical resources in helping uh, explain operational uptime and, and security to our customers. So I was constantly working across the organization. And, and again, some of it was survival. It wasn't all altruism. But I think that what happened was when I moved into the president's role, everyone was familiar with me as being someone who collaborated with other departments. Mm-hmm. Now, it helped that they were all open. You know, I, I, I often said that we had a great culture at Angel, and I didn't, I didn't build it. I I built on top of it. The people were always very open and, and collaborative, and that, that just made it a great place to work. Yeah. You know, I got advice along the way in my career, which is if, you know, start doing the things that will make you successful in the next job before you get it. So that when you do get it, you know, you know how to do it, which is exactly what you just did. I mean, you were helping your peers and the other functions be successful, you know, in thinking about the company, not just sales. And then when ultimately when the board asked you to take over, you know, you had support from all these functional leaders because they viewed you as a team player and somebody that, you know, they thought could grow the company. 
Okay, so we're at our time allotment here. Uh, Dave, I just wanted to thank you for sharing your wisdom on how to scale a SaaS company. And I think we learned a lot from you today. And uh, on behalf of the listeners and SBI, thanks a bunch for being on the show. Thank you. Okay, take care. This has been the SBI Podcast. For more information on SBI services, case studies, the SBI team and how we work, or to subscribe to our other offerings, please visit us at salesbenchmarkindex.com.